0: Father God, thank you so much for uh, your goodness to us. We thank you for uh, the groups that you have uh, formed us in, uh, these groups of uh, your children, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, each a trophy of your grace, each uh, a work in progress uh, that you are involved in. And so we pray now as, um, as we think about how to make the most of the time we have together week in, week out, uh, that you would give us wisdom. Amen. Now, hopefully, uh, for this session, you have uh, in front of you an outline that looks a bit like this. Uh, making the most of our meetings. Uh, if you don't have one, I have a few spare copies here, so um, please uh, wave your hand around if, you, if there aren't enough on your table. So there's just some of the. And there should also be on the tables uh, at least one of these uh, giant A3 sheets, which you can ignore for the time being, but uh, worth having one of those. Uh, when we get to that point. Uh, Over the next, uh, well just short of an hour, I want to encourage you uh, in the art of uh, leading a small group meeting. I use the word art advisedly. It's not a science, it's an art. Each of you will do it uh, differently. And uh, like any great art, it takes time uh, to develop uh, that art. Uh, But meeting week in, week out is the essence of what it means to be a small group. Uh, To state the obvious, we are a group of brothers and sisters who have committed to gather week in, uh, week out and that is remarkable. Uh, Gather together to hear God speak, to speak his word to each other, to respond in prayer and it's a big commitment. Uh, Basically those people in your group are saying, I will meet with you week after week after week over the next few years, I'll commit to do that. And I reckon as a leader that's quite humbling. Uh, that your group would covenant to do that under your leadership. I'm prepared to meet in your home or wherever your group may meet and have you lead me uh, over these uh, years as we do that together. And I reckon while it's humbling, it should also drive us to want to make the most of the time that people are willing to give up uh, week in, week out. And so that's what we're going to start to do uh, this morning. This is really part one of uh, making the most of our meetings uh, when we meet later uh, in this coming year we'll, we'll look at uh, part two. But just for a moment I want you to, uh, if you need to shut your eyes to do this, uh, feel free to do that otherwise uh, you can just imagine. Picture uh, f- for a moment, it's that time of the week again uh, for your group to meet, whether that's midweek, whether it's Sunday morning for the students. Uh, any moment the group will start arriving. Uh, you've done the prep work on the passage, you've listened to the sermon uh, a number of times Uh, You've got it straight. You've set out the chairs. Someone's bringing food for the students. Donuts are on the table. Uh, You've taken those uh, last one or two uh, calls just before Bible study, people saying they can't make it, and uh, you're ready. Uh, The knocks on the door begin. Fred is first. He's always first. Uh, He comes straight from work. He seems to live there. Uh, Mary and James are next. They're back after a few weeks away visiting grandchildren. Uh, Next comes Jill and Ruth, both Postgrad grad students who share a house together and so on and so on over the next 15 minutes. The, the dozen or so people that form your group have all made it. Uh, they've all come from different days, uh, different contexts with different things on their mind but they're here, uh, you're together. And the clock uh, hits 8 o'clock and you, uh, you break into the buzz of conversations or for the students you break in as uh, Peter stops uh, speaking and uh, you've got those moments now ahead of you. It's time to begin and over the course of the next hour or so God is going to speak uh, and he will use you to lead that process of seeing his gospel as it says in Colossians bear fruit and multiply in your front room. Uh, and he does that with the overall goal uh, again in Colossians wonderfully captured for us. And you can see it there on your outlines, Colossians 2, 6 and 7, that those around you who have received Christ as Lord will continue to live in him. Or to put it another way, God's goal as he speaks and through your leadership in your group is to cause you and those around you to become mature in Christ, perfect in Christ, fully grown disciples who look like the ones they follow Uh, That's the purpose of this next hour, to be more mature in Christ than when you arrived at the doorstep. Uh, It's a long-term project. It doesn't happen just over that hour. It's one that uh, God says in Philippians, He intends to finish. Uh, He who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion. Uh, But the question before us, as things do quieten down just after 8 on a Wednesday or 11am on a Sunday for the students, how can I make the best use of the next hour to be about that work of seeing these people leave my house or wherever you might meet uh, more mature in Christ? And I think to do that you need to be... Uh, there's three things that you'll need to be and you can see them on the sheet. Uh, they're hardly revolutionary uh, but these are the three things. We're going to focus on one of them uh, but here are the three. Uh, firstly, you need to be confident. Uh, Not in yourself, it doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert, it doesn't mean you have to be an entertainer, a comedian. Uh, You have to be confident in the word that God is speaking to your group. Uh, We looked at this uh, uh, on the launch night, Isaiah 55 verse 11, My word, says God, that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. When God speaks in your group, it's a purposeful word, he intends... Uh, to achieve what he set out to do when he spoke. Uh, So you need to be confident of that, Uh, what you have is a powerful, purposeful word. Uh, Secondly, uh, you need to be dependent. Uh, You need to be prayerful. And I reckon, uh, uh, even speaking as as sort of a a preacher, someone who prepares sermons, that's that's something that easily sort of slips to the side as we sort of do the hard work of preparing to lead a Bible study. It's praying. Uh, Praying over the passage that we are going to uh, speak about together. Praying for yourself as you lead that process, Uh, praying for your group individually. and We'll speak about that more as we go along. So there's the first thing, you need to be confident, Uh, you need to be dependent. Uh, But thirdly, and this is the one I think we neglect, you need to be a leader. Uh, That's what you've been called to be in your group. You're not just one of the group, Uh, you are the leader of the group. Uh, The other two I suspect uh, should come naturally for Christians who are growing in maturity, that is confidence in God's word and dependence on him in prayer. But uh, this is the one that will need to be nurtured uh, in each of us who has been called to lead God's people and that's exactly what you've been called to do in uh, taking on a small group. And I think uh, being a leader is is something... uh, I remember uh, somebody telling me uh, this when I was first starting out leading small groups. He says, you need to remember, Andrew, the banana will ripen Uh, I think it was after a particularly uh, terrible uh, Bible study that I had led and he was trying to give gentle but uh, clear feedback on how terrible uh, it had been. Uh, And uh, he said, you you need to know the banana will ripen. It takes time, it takes experience, it takes uh, having a go week in, uh, week out. And uh, I guess that's what I want to encourage you to see, that uh, where you're at now as a leader should ripen over time. You should get... Uh, more able uh, to lead your group. And uh, one of the key ways to do that, and we'll talk more about this again as we go along, is feedback. Uh, A number of you are in teams of leadership. There's a number of you leading together. Uh, Are you in the habit of giving that sort of uh, gentle uh, but clear feedback? Uh, Otherwise the banana is not going to ripen. Uh, So be in the habit of doing that for one another. As I said, more on that uh, that sort of feedback process uh, in a little while. But there's the three things. Uh, Be confident, be dependent, uh, be a leader and it's leadership that I want to focus on uh, now when it comes to making the most of your meetings. Let me give you um, two principles of uh, small group leadership. Uh, Two principles that I think underpin the process of uh, leading a small group discussion. And at first they seem in complete contradiction Uh, but I think you've got to hold them in tension if you're going to lead Uh, make the most of leading uh, the session. First is this, control. Uh, You need to have control uh, as a leader. You are a leader, not a facilitator. Uh, Big difference, you're a leader, not a facilitator. You're dealing with the truth of God's word. You're not a group sharing uh, opinions. Uh, Yes, there'll be different opinions, there'll be different ideas, but the the word of God overrules in your group. Uh, You are the leader of that process. And as a leader, you are responsible for the conclusions your group draws at the end of a meeting. Uh, That's your job. Uh, You need to lead them to the conclusion, the clear conclusion that the passage uh, would have us reach. And so there's control. Uh, But on the other side, there is freedom needed. Uh, You need to know, and I'm sure you've experienced this, that too much control smothers fruitful discussion. The more controlling you are, the more interrupting you are, the more sort of steering every little detail of uh, the meeting, uh, the more uh, discussion quietens down as people fear coming up uh, with the right answers uh, or wrong answers. As people uh, feel that they can't say what they actually think because they might be corrected or they might be wrong. And so we need to be wary of any actions as we lead that communicate that we're constantly evaluating everything that people are saying. Now, of course, you need to be doing that, but not in a way where people feel that they are on trial. Uh, control um, cannot be seen as, as you being superior to them, as if you are in a judgement seat and there's the rest of the group around you and you're they're saying things and you're assessing it and giving them a mark as to what they've said. So it's quite a balance, isn't it? Control and freedom... Uh, They represent, I think, the basic uh, dilemma of small group leadership. How can I run uh, an energetic and a stimulating and a free-flowing discussion and yet in the process steer the group towards the purpose God has in mind as he spoke the word uh, that we're looking at together? And so for the rest of this session I want to outline our strategy, not the only strategy, but our strategy uh, for leading a group safely through that tension so that you can make the most of each meeting, and so here it is: a strategy for small group leadership. It's hardly groundbreaking, again, but here it is. Uh, I reckon uh, small group leadership, small group meetings—that uh, hour or hour or so that you have together weekly—is that uh, is like leading a group through a hike uh, in the Peak Districts. Uh, it requires leader preparation. It requires group preparation. Uh, It requires, and this seems obvious but is often forgotten, heading off in the right direction. Uh, It requires you to keep things going, uh, keep the group walking and it requires uh, arriving at the campsite that you intended to arrive at. Uh, Now I got that metaphor of uh, group meetings being like a hike uh, from uh, the book Growth Groups that I know many of you have done. Let Let me quote from that. I think the quote is on your outline there. Like a small group discussion, uh, leading a hike involves a balance of control and freedom. It is reprehensible for the leader not to be well prepared with clear directions and resources to reach the campsite. Likewise, the hiking party must be adequately prepared, although usually there will be within it various levels of expertise. During the hike, the leader will need to keep motivation high and be firm in pushing on towards the final destination. Whatever else happens, the leader needs to keep studying the map and checking the landmarks. The guide needs to keep control. But this is a hike, not a forced march at double time with a full pack and a sergeant barking orders. The group can set its own pace and to some extent at stop at points of interest along the way. The new hikers can learn a lot from old timers who often know the terrain even better than the leader. Sometimes they would like to get off the beaten track and find a new way home to enjoy the experience and to come back for more. They need a fair degree of freedom. And so there it is, that control and freedom again. And so how do you do it? How do you plot a strategy that will enable you to push on to the destination in discussion with both control and freedom? Remembering, and this is important I think, and often we forget this, remembering that the destination is not the final question on your sheet of paper that you prepared. The destination, you're not a quiz master, this isn't a pub trivia night. We're not trying to get to the end of our sheet. The destination is maturity in Christ. And so, even if uh, your plan, your beautifully laid plan of ten questions, you only get up to question two, but your group has grown in maturity, uh, that's a remarkable night, uh, not a failure. And so, we need to keep our destination in mind, maturity in Christ. And with that in mind, there's this simple strategy with its five parts leader preparation, group preparation, heading off in the right direction, keeping things going, and arriving at the campsite. And today, really, I just want to focus on the first of those, uh, leader preparation, which is, of course, key, both for purposeful hiking and for small group discussion. So let's look at that together, preparing uh, to lead God's people uh, with God's word, leader preparation. Uh, Now, obviously, in this, and we've spoken about this many times uh, in in, uh, training meetings that we've had, uh, key in your preparation is the serious preparation work in the passage that you'll be looking at. Uh, Your job is to have a clear exposition of the passage, uh, to know what it means, to know its purpose. Now, uh, for the purposes of this session, I'm assuming that you've done that work. So, I'm not planning to talk about that uh, this morning. That is why two of these three sessions when we meet like this for Service Station are about that work. Ben's helped us with that and Paul will in, in a little while. It's why we link with sermons so that you have a clear exposition to work from as you, as you lead with your group. It's why we produce detailed notes for you and it's why we uh, have run and are running again the growth group course. So It's one of the track's options in spring and well worth uh, considering. If that part of preparation, that is understanding a text, is something that you struggle with, uh, that's well worth doing. I'm assuming that you've done that work. Uh, without it, uh, your group will be hiking in circles. Uh, but with that in mind, uh, the preparation that I want to focus on with you now is once you've done that legwork in the passage, what other preparation do I need to do if, if God's powerful and effective word uh, that He speaks, if that's actually going to lead us to maturity? I mean, surely, if, if we are confident in God's word that it is purposeful, that if I've understood, say, the ten verses that we're looking at tonight, and I'm ready to lead a discussion on those ten verses by asking questions that will help people understand the meaning that I now get, uh, surely that's all I need to do to prepare. Well, I want to say if that's uh, where you're at, then that is a completely inadequate uh, preparation for a small group meeting. If all you've done is understood the passage and got some questions that will help people understand the, the words in the passage, uh, then you haven't really even begun uh, to prepare properly. And what we need to keep in mind, even as we do that legwork in the passage, having done that exposition work, is why has God spoken this word that I now understand? Uh, You remember the purpose that we've stated a number of times already. He speaks that word to your group that you may present each other mature in Christ. He speaks his word to change you and those around you to be more like him. And so you need to ask this question, given the exposition... Uh, Given what this passage means, how can I lead a hike, how can I lead our discussion such that we arrive at the end of the night closer to that destination? How can this group of people, not just any abstract group of people, this group of people arrive at that destination? That's the agenda that should reign supreme as we go through our discussion. A maturity in Christ... If that's the place we're aiming for as we prepare to set out together, what is that destination, maturity in Christ, what does it look like if we were to sort of zoom in on the map uh, that we're plotting for our group discussion? Zooming in on the map. I, I want to give you a picture, if you like, a, a zoom in, a detailed look at what maturity in Christ uh, is and what we should be aiming for as we prepare. In fact, I'm going to give you two pictures of it. Uh, the first is a, a general framework to keep in mind as you prepare. And the other, in a little while, is, uh, without sounding super spiritual, a picture of maturity in Christ that I think the Lord has laid on my heart with increasing clarity over the past years as I've observed uh, this church family and seen where we're at and where we need to go if we are to become uh, more like the one we follow. But firstly, here's a a general framework and you can see it on your outlines. This This is the sort of things that we're aiming for as we discuss in our groups as we meet. This is the sort of campsite that we're heading towards. Let me give you three C's of maturity in Christ. My preparations should be aimed at using God's word to bring about growth firstly in conviction, growth in their knowledge of God and his ways as they heed his voice. Is my group, through my leadership, growing to know God and love God more and his ways more over time? Let me give you, these are just some sample questions that are worth asking as you think about your group. Uh, Are they growing to know God as Father? Uh, Do they know Him as their Father? Are they confident in God's grace? Are they growing in confidence in that? Uh, Are they convinced that God has made Himself known in the Bible? Are they convinced that that's how He makes Himself known? Uh, Do they understand the sonship of Christ, that He is God's Son? Are they understanding more and more God's work of redemption through the death and resurrection of Jesus? These are the big convictions we want them to have. Are they growing more and more free from human religion and legalism? Are they understanding and appreciating the abiding presence and work of the Spirit of God in their lives? Is Jesus Christ their Lord of all they do? Is his Lordship seen in the whole sphere of their life? Do they understand that he is Lord of all? Now, they're just some sample questions, but I guess what I'm saying is that as, as I prepare a passage, am I thinking, what is it in this passage that is going to grow their convictions, uh, their, their love of God? Uh, what is going to increase their Godward worldview? That's the sort of worldview a mature Christian has, a, a Godward worldview, where they grow to love him and his ways as they hear his voice. What's going to lead them in that direction in this passage? So there's the first C conviction. Uh, here's the second character. My preparation should be aimed at using God's word to bring about a growth in their character, a growth in godly godliness, a life that accords with the convictions that they're holding. Uh, Am I seeing in them increasing our prayerful dependence? Are they growing in love and good deeds? Are they growing in endurance and patience, uh, forbearance and gentleness, especially with one another? Are they growing uh, and uh, understanding the idea of suffering for Christ? Are they dealing with stubborn sin? Are they practising forgiveness? Are they thankful? Is their family and social life shaped by their convictions? Are they engaging with the world? Now these are big questions and uh, the sort of questions I think that we need to be constantly asking as we uh, consider the people that God has given us to lead but also, first and foremost, as we prepare, these are the things I need to be asked. What is it in this passage this passage, that will help this particular group of people uh, to grow in their character, to grow in godliness? Now, let me give you one uh, third C uh, to bear in mind as you prepare, and that is competency, uh, growth in ability to prayerfully speak the word of God to others. Are they not only growing in conviction and character, but in competency? Uh, We lead our meetings to grow disciples who will grow disciples themselves. Uh, That's our goal. Now if you're thinking at this point, hang on, I didn't sign up for this, I'm not a trainer. We might put on courses where they'll learn to evangelise or they'll learn to lead a Bible study or or whatever it might be. Uh, Let me ask you to think, how, how do you think God trains people? Well, he does it with the Gospel. He does it through his word. He is training you and your people week in, week out. Uh, how do you think you ended up here this morning uh, doing what you are doing, leading a group? It is because God used other people to speak the word of God to you and that grew you. And now he's calling you to do the same. And so the best training I think as disciples is when we don't even know we're being trained. We haven't signed up for a course, uh, we haven't uh, sort of been put into a program, we're just part of a group where we're hearing God speak to us and he is equipping us. But I think as leaders you need to have that agenda in your mind as you prepare. How is this passage going to train them uh, to grow in their ability to speak the word of God to others? And I'm not saying formally speak it, but speak it in their families, speak it uh, to colleagues at work, speak it to friends. So there's first a general framework, a sketch, uh, if you like, as to the shape of maturity in Christ as we prepare our studies. Three C's, conviction, character. And competency. We want this word that we've carefully expounded, and again, we can't uh, skip that word, to achieve the purpose of maturity in Christ. And crucially, as I've hinted at as we've gone along, it's not it's not going to happen in abstraction. Uh, Here's what's wrong, I think, with, uh, for instance, the Bible study notes that we've produced uh, over recent years. I've done lots of notes over recent years. Here's what's wrong with them. They are they're like they're like a a pea shooter uh, shooting at a giant field. Uh, There's no way I can know uh, your group as well as you are getting to know them. Uh, We're not talking about uh, maturity in Christ in abstraction. This process happens with the people that God has given you. I want these people, is the question I need to be asking, these people uh, to grow in maturity. Which means I think every single Bible study that is led week in, week out, all around forward and beyond will be different. I don't mean hopefully it won't have a different overall purpose in terms of what the passage is about. Hopefully we're clear and united on that. But it will be different because there are different people. And so you need to keep that in mind, uh, that your study is unique uh, because you are meeting with uh, unique people, real people with a real relationship with God, coming from real context that is entirely different to another group. And so that's why if, for instance, I swanned into your small group and tried to lead a Bible study, it might work to a certain extent. But another extent I will miss them completely. Uh, because I don't know them as you do. And so we want this purposeful word uh, to speak to the specific context that people are in, to real lives uh, of the people that we are getting to know. And so when I say step one of this strategy of making the most of your meetings is leader prep, I want us to see together that it's a lot more than just understanding the meaning of ten verses. And so let me encourage you as you head out on this year, uh, let me lay before you Uh, the wonderful task that God has given you. If you are to play a key part in presenting those in your group mature in Christ, uh, you need to do the deep work of not only exposition of a passage uh, but exposition of people. Uh, Exposition not only of a passage but people. I want you to consider as you prepare uh, week in week out that you have two books open on your desk or wherever it is that you prepare. Uh, You have God's word that sits in authority over your group Because God is a kind and good God and the word he speaks is a good word. You have people who you want to see grow in maturity in Christ and you have the book of their lives open as much as you know. And Those two need to come together. If you are to prepare well, that book needs to be open. And With that in mind, here's a few things uh, to consider. Uh, Things that are obvious, you'll know it in your own life. Uh, People's agendas and God's agenda uh, do overlap at points but uh, often uh, they are not aligned. And so our job as we prepare is how can I bring the agenda that God has uh, and the agenda that uh, the people that he's given me to look after in line, not, not his agenda moving across to theirs, but them moving over to him. Uh, people who come with all sorts of influences as they meet week in, week out, all sorts of ideas already, experiences they've had, uh, hurts, convictions, hopes, biases. Uh, they come with a real life. Uh, which is already in a state of change. All sorts of things in our lives are changing all the time and here we are, we're coming into a word that's calling us to change again. Uh, We're reluctant to change, we need to be aware of that. And so you will not make the most of your small group gatherings if you're only committed to being a student of one book and not the book of the people that he's given you to care for. Uh, The more we understand where our people are coming from, uh, where they hope to be, uh, the better we can uh, help them be aligned with God's agenda. Uh, here's a, a very small, simple example. Where if a member of your group, and I'm sure this never happens in your groups, but it's happened in mine in the past, becomes erratic in coming along, they're not there every week, um, we might want to hold off in their, what I used to do, the classic guilt trip. Uh, take them to Hebrews 10 and say, let us not give up meeting together, let's be in the habit of meeting together. What are you doing? It's there, it's written there. there. Um, <laughs> Especially when, if we knew them, we'd see that the underlying problem could be all sorts of things. It could be poor health that they've not spoken of. It could be workaholism. It could be depression. It could be marriage struggles. It could be all sorts of things that makes it difficult for them to be there. Not as simple as just uh, pick your game up. Uh, that's where God needs to go to work. The underlying issues, not the symptom of poor attendance. And so let me uh, encourage you, it is worth thinking about your group, maybe have them in your mind right now, the sort of things that you would really want to know about them if you were to help them mature in Christ. What are the sort of things that would be good to know about someone that you care for and that God has given you to love? Uh, You might want to know about their family life. Uh, You might want to know about church background, perhaps if they're new to forward. Uh, You might want to know about uh, education, things that they've experienced, significant friendships that they have, interests, uh, health, uh, emotions that shape them, ambitions that they have, fears that they have, frustrations that they're dealing with, uh, serious hurts. Uh, you might want to know about uh, their financial situation. Uh, you might want to know about their beliefs, their values. Now, in all of this, I'm not, I'm not suggesting some sort of MI5-style surveillance routine. I've been watching spooks lately I'm definitely not uh, encouraging that. What I am encouraging, I'm not even encouraging you putting together a sort of survey for your group saying, I really need to know if I'm preparing this study, so answer these 10 questions for me. Uh, What I'm saying is the more you listen as your group interacts, really listen, uh, the more things uh, that that they will say will express these underlying uh, background issues. And even more than that, this is why we have... um, again and again the value of one-to-one meetings with people in your group. I reckon you can get to know someone in one or two meetings more than over the course of a year just meeting in your front room. So there's huge value in that, huge value in just starting to get to know someone, Uh, hearing about their background, hearing about the things that uh, shape their world. Uh, So let me encourage you to be uh, students uh, of the book of your people as much as you are of uh, God's word. Now I'm going to stop just for a moment. I've got a couple more things I want to say, that second picture of maturity that I want to uh, give you. But are there any questions at this point? Bob? One to one meetings. What about married couples? Yeah, I mean that, that would be fantastic. But I guess one of the other things to say is that when I say one-to-one meetings, they don't always have to be Formal, if you like, and inviting someone to a one-to-one meeting. It might be a meal you have with them and you're asking questions. It can be in any context, but it's a context where you're having an intentional meeting with someone. You're there to get to know them. One, so you can pray properly for them. Two, so that you can prepare properly as well. Any other questions? Brilliant. Well, let me just say a couple more things and then I'm going to get you to do a bit of work on this yourselves in your tables. Um, So just to reiterate, the more we are expositors of God's people under the authority of our exposition of the word, uh, the more purposeful our gatherings will be, I think. And also the more purposeful our prayer for our group uh, will be. We'll be praying specific things for them. And to that end, let me reiterate the prayer that I'm praying for small groups this year that I spoke about at launch night. It's this second picture of maturity uh, that I spoke of. I think that for a person to be mature in Christ means that they are a man or a woman who is curved out uh, at its simplest. Uh, Jesus, uh, the one we are hoping to grow more like, uh, to mature in his likeness, is a man completely opposite to us Uh, The great uh, theologian Martin Luther described us as uh, people who are curved in, completely curved in on ourselves. Uh, And yet Jesus is the complete opposite of that. He is totally curved out, uh, curved out to his Father, uh, curved out to those around him, curved out to this world. And so that's what I'm praying for our groups this year. And as you prepare studies, expositing the passage and your people, Uh, That's what I want you to be thinking. How can this passage cause this group of people to become more curved out than they are uh, already? Three ways that they need to curve out. Uh, Let me mention them briefly. Uh, Let's be preparing in such a way that the passage leads us to be curved out towards our God. Uh, I reckon a real danger for us in our groups is for God to be uh, very small Uh, this thing that we discuss and us very big. Uh, We need to completely reverse that. Uh, I hope this is a year where your group grows in wonder of God. There'll be some weeks where you think, I don't have a sort of a a, a catchy little application, I don't have six things for my group to do this week. All that we've learnt is that our God is holy and good and just. Uh, That's a good week. That's a really good week uh, because it will shape the rest of the things. So if that's what the passage is driving you towards... Go with that. Don't look for the sort of the, the clichéd read your Bible or, or whatever it might be. Uh, focus on what the passage is calling you towards in terms of being curved out to God. How has God spoken here in this passage to lead us to grow in humble awe of him? A uh, second curve out is curved out to one another. Uh, prepare in such a way that this uh, word uh, continues to create in your group a culture of mutual burdensomeness where you do carry each other. Uh, How has God spoken here to lead us to carry each other more purposefully? And one final one, and I think this is the one, when I said this is the prayer I'm praying as I've observed the church earlier, this is the one I'm especially praying, uh, curved out towards the lost. Um, I'm hoping that the word of God will continue to create in us hearts that are curved out uh, to such an extent that our impulse uh, to love reaches beyond just the the people who meet in our front room to to the world, to the hundreds and hundreds and thousands upon thousands in our city who do not know this God that we're getting to know week in, week out. My prayer is that the word will cause us to become convinced and active evangelists, not out of guilt or duty, but as we get to know him more and more and see how good he is and as our commitment to one another grows more and more that we will become groups that pray together and plot together and even participate together in this work of evangelism because that is the sort of God we have, a God who goes out. Uh, And so we need to ask in preparation, how has God spoken here to lead us to live and speak for him in this world? Well, that's the sort of question I'm calling on you to be asking as you prepare and again not in generalities. Uh, How does this passage, this particular passage, cause this particular people to be curved out? And so what I want to do for a few moments, hopefully on the back of your outlines you've got a a copy of a few verses from Isaiah chapter 8 but there's also this this bigger one that you you might have a scribe on your table who will scribble some ideas down as you go along using uh, the bigger sheet. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, a few verses from Isaiah 8 just to see how richly the word of God actually does move us towards this goal of maturity in Christ. Either those those three C's that I spoke of or more simply, to be curved out. And so, uh, Isaiah 8 is uh, what we're going to look at. Uh, I might just get someone to read that out. Peter, are you going to read that for us? Yeah. This is what the law says to me, With His strong hands upon me, what means not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people call a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind of this testimony of warning and seal of God's instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Thank you. Now in a moment we're going to dive in with that passage and try to do this very preparation work that we've been speaking of. But let me give you a really, really quick um, outline of uh, those verses just so that you've got something to go on. Isaiah 6 a couple of chapters earlier we've had this wonderful picture which shows us that the Lord Almighty is King. Uh, King of his people, King of all the nations. In Isaiah 7 he calls his people to trust him uh, despite huge opposition. In fact in Isaiah 7 verse 9, wonderful verse, he says if you do not stand firm in your faith you will not stand. If you do not stand firm in your faith uh, you will not stand. Isaiah 7 verse 9. And what we see as we get to chapter 8 is that this standing firm in our faith is a choice that needs to be demonstrated each day and in each facet of our lives. And what our verses that we're looking at pick up is two spheres, if you like, two areas of our lives where we're meant to demonstrate this standing firm in our trust. They are what we put our security in and the things that we fear. And so verses 12 and 13, it's our security... Isaiah says, don't call conspiracy everything these people call conspiracy. Now this word conspiracy could easily be translated treaty or uh, security. Don't call security what these people call security. Uh, In this case it was the surrounding nations. As these sort of big opposition came against them, they were starting to be tempted and they were doing this to to, uh, put their security in other nations that might support them And, and God is saying, don't do that, don't put your security in other things. And there is a huge challenge for us and I'll leave you to maybe talk about that on your table. What is, what is it that we're meant to learn from that challenge? Don't call conspiracy everything these people call conspiracies. We are told that the Lord Almighty here is our security. Uh, let me give you a verse to jot down as, as you look at that area of security and you chat in your tables in a moment. 1 Peter 1 verses 18 to 21. You see this idea picked up again. 1 Peter 1 verses 18 to 21. Secondly, uh, there is this fear, uh, Isaiah says to them, don't fear what they fear, the things that shape them, the fears that shape the way they think and live and act, don't fear what they fear. A huge opposition is coming against them and he's saying don't fear the obvious, the obvious danger. Again, the challenge for us is not to be shaped by the fears that shape those around us. Uh, the call in these verses is to fear God alone because uh, fear of God will put all other fears in perspective. Again, here's a verse to look up in just a moment for that. 1 Peter, again, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15. Now, what I want us to do, probably so 15, 20 minutes you've got for this, so there's a fair bit of prep work time you've got to be doing this on your table. So I want you to use this passage. And I want you to try and be about this work of preparation that we've been talking about. How does this passage here, this very passage, uh, call this people, and by this people I think for the purposes of this exercise this morning, either think about your small group that you know uh, or think about the church family wider if you'd like to or even just think about yourself. Uh, How does this passage uh, call this people uh, to be more curved out, Uh, curved out to God Uh, curved out to one another and curved out to the world. How does it cause us to do each of those three things? And you'll see on one side of the big sheet there is the passage and on the other side of those three areas. You've got plenty of time to work through that together on your table. And then what we're going to do is we're going to come back and I'd love to hear some of the things that people are coming up with. The sort of things that you would love to... Lead your group through, uh, if you were to lead them through this, and you will uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, so let me, let me pray for you guys as you do that and then I'll leave you to it. Father God, we do thank you that this word in Isaiah is a purposeful word and we pray knowing that the people you have given us uh, to lead, this, uh, lead through this word uh, that you would give us wisdom now to prepare well uh, so that we would become more mature in Christ. Amen. Okay, so uh, take the next 15 or so minutes to, to do that on your tables. Okay, let's come back together. I'm, uh, I'm sure that you, you'd spend uh, perhaps more time uh, than 15 minutes uh, preparing uh, to lead your group through that passage. Um, but I'd love to hear just uh, if people are willing to, to shout out uh, their thoughts that they, they had on the table. Firstly, how does this passage call this people to be curved out towards God. What did people come up with for that? Just saying how um, that is by part of the biggest experience in this passage. And just started off with the point that it is so utterly different to what our view is what we come in. That is not the view that the are seeing in any sense. or any more than it was. Yep. Yeah. And you know, this might sound a, a bit um, a, a, an overstatement, but I suspect you you'll struggle to find many passages in the Bible that this isn't the dominant one. And I think you're right; it's it's not the one that we we necessarily want. We want the tell me what to do. But here's what what God keeps doing. He says. Um, here, I, here I am. <laughs> um, any others on that, on curved out towards God? Great. He is the Lord, He stands strong, He stands upon us, and He loves us enough to warn us. So all of that would just curve us out towards Him straight away. Yep. Thank you. Graham, can you say that again? So sorry. Yeah, just four things from verse eleven. So He is the Lord. uh, His hand is strong. His hand is upon us, um, and He loves us enough to warn us. And so that will just automatically, draw us to things. Thank you. For me, part of the challenge on, on this first one, being curved out towards God, is follow up. Um, I think sometimes we will come to a passage like this that says some amazing things about our God and we sort of learn them by the end. We say, yes, this is what he's like, is this and this and this. Um, but following up on those things, do we, are we convinced he is like that as we go into the week? Are we convinced he's like that three weeks from now when life is completely different to when I said I thought that three weeks ago? And does my conviction lead to change in character? That's, that's the big one. That's where you know people are actually... Trusting that God is like that. Does it change the way I am? Is it making me more thankful? Does it make me more persevering? All of those things. They're the, they're the sort of observations we're looking for as we uh, look at ourselves and as our group. How about curved out towards one another? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, so when we see a warning passage like this, uh, a bit like Ben was saying earlier, this is, we want to be those who are aligned with what God is doing and we want those around us to be like that. And We want to care for them enough that when we see that we're not like that, uh, that we, we want to change. So, yeah, I think, again, that, that's follow-up, isn't it? And, and ongoing prayer, I think, on this one. I think there are some things in our groups that we're prepared to have on our ongoing prayer list. Perhaps Fred needs a job. And that's a good thing to be praying for week in, week out. Or um, finance issues or family issues or health issues. All of these things we might pray for week in, week out and ask for it. How's he going with that? Has there been any change this week? But are we doing that with this sort of thing? Are we, are we ongoingly praying for our realignment uh, to God's purposes? Are we ongoingly praying for one another that we heard that warning two weeks ago? Are, are, we, are we heeding it? Um, one final one, curved out towards the world. Anything on that that people saw in this passage? I'm always struck by um, Paul's words, there in, I think it's in Philippians, where, he, where he's speaking of people in that very sort of danger that this passage speaks of and he says, I now say with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. It should be that as we read passages like this, that over time God is softening our heart and even breaking our heart towards those who are in this very position. This is not a, a, a sort of a theoretical statement that these warnings are there, they're very real. There is a real, holy, just God who is almighty and uh, to live apart from him is is devastating Um, and there's so many things in here the false securities of our world, the power of fear over people um, the danger of judgement coming, the call to trust him Uh, these things I guess we need to be saying okay well what's that mean for Fred at work, what's that mean for what's what's, what's it going to do for me now that I know that about him I already knew it about him and now God said it again tonight uh, that, should, that should disturb my heart. Um, uh, just before we finish, I'll give you an example of that. I've been working on um, uh, Hebrews uh, 5 and 6 this week for a sermon on Sunday night when one of the things it warns of is that the danger for people who uh, are believers, who, who know all of this, who've tasted the goodness of God and slipping away from that, to, that they could get to a point uh, that they can never return from. And uh, as I'm reading that, I'm thinking, yeah, I've got to make sure that we all hear that loud and clear. And I'm, I'm sitting there at church family prayer on Wednesday night and I'm thinking, that's my brother. Uh, we were at uh, youth group together We went we, we, for years together. We prayed together, we sung together. Now he is completely adrift. Uh, I'm not meant to read a passage like that and be okay with that. Uh, that's meant to stir me again. I'm, I've got to do something about that. Actually, God's got to do something about that, but I've got to come before him. Uh, in prayer and uh, do what he's asking me to do. So I think that's what we want our pa- the passages that we look at together to stir us to, to pray more and to actual action uh, together. Uh, let me wrap up uh, very briefly uh, just to say that uh, again as I've said before God speaks his word to lead us to maturity in Christ. As I prepare I need to do so with two books open the authority word of God and under that the book of the people I've been asked to care for. And that means each study in a room like this is going to be different because there are different people involved. Uh, The more we are expositors of God's people under that authority of his word, the more purposeful our meetings will be. So make it your ambition to prepare that way uh, this year. Uh, Next time we get together we're going to look at the other four steps of making the most of our meetings, group preparation, heading off in the right direction, keeping going and arriving at the campsite. Um, But in the meantime let me commend two things to you. Firstly, if If in terms of preparing, especially preparing a passage and even thinking about how to prepare with your people in mind is something you'd like to work on and I hope it's something we'd all like to work on, do consider going along to the growth groups uh, stream uh, in uh, January to March. That would be a great way to be more equipped in this. The other thing is that I'd like to encourage you to be open to being coached as a leader and that that I'm going to be trying to do a bit more about that uh, uh, of that not not as an expert but as somebody who can sort of observe and come beside and I know others will be as well. Uh let me say that that's what I'm hoping to do. If you're saying I don't need to be coached um, please come and tell me and that's fine. Um, and we won't we won't do that. But um, otherwise the default I'm assuming is that we we'd like to coach each other uh so that the banana ripens. Um, let me pray. Father God, thank you so much uh, for your goodness to us. Thank you that you do speak a word that is purposeful. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know our groups better than we know them. And so we do pray that by your word and through your spirit you would change us this year. Amen. Well, let's uh, take another break uh, for a few minutes, uh, refuel if you need to with treats and drinks, and then uh, Paul will take us through Isaiah.